Sermon number 668, Princes of Peace, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, December 16, 1973. The text is taken from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, the 14th verse, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The Gospel according to Luke, the second chapter, beginning at the eighth verse. And in that region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace. I wonder how many here this morning are earnest and sincere when they say that they would like to see today and forevermore peace on earth. If you're one, will you please raise your hand? How many would really like to see peace on earth? Just as I had hoped and knew, hands all over this great massive congregation. But I won't ask you the second question that I would like to ask. And those of us who we really want to see peace on earth. How many of us are willing to pay the price for peace? Now, I know some people don't know what I'm talking about when I say that, for there are people who do not know those things that make for peace. That was true in Jesus' day. Remember on that first Palm Sunday when he rode into Jerusalem? He cried unto the people, Oh, oh, if you only knew those things this day that make for peace. That was nearly 2,000 years ago. And on this third Sunday in Advent in the year of our Lord, 1973, there are People on the streets of the city of Pittsburgh and in the cities and hamlets of every part of the world who still do not know those things that make for peace. That's one of the reasons we don't have peace on earth. 
Another is that those of us who do know those things that make for peace, we're not quite sure if we want to pay the price that peace requires. That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Let's admit it. We're somewhat like Teddy Roosevelt, of whom it was said that he was for peace as long as it didn't interfere with the fighter. And that's exactly how some of us feel if we can have peace on our terms. Everybody wants peace, but not everybody wants to pay the price for peace. Hence, we do not have peace on earth today. You see, peace is very expensive. Oh, ever since that first Christmas, it has been freely given to anyone who has the courage to accept it, but it's terribly expensive to maintain. Peace is granted to us freely by God in Jesus Christ, but it costs to be in Jesus Christ. It costs us, I believe, some very expensive requirements. First of all, I, I believe for any of us to be able to have peace and to bring peace on earth, we must be consciously <coughs> acknowledging, recognizing, and alert to that particular thing which prohibits peace in becoming a reality in life. And I mean what the Bible calls the sin that is in man. You know, that's what causes it. The unrest, the upheaval, the lack of peace, the sin that is in you and is in me. Now, that's not my idea. Anyone who knows his Bible accepts it as the Word of God and has studied under the power of the Holy Spirit the third chapter of the book of Genesis knows that disharmony, which is just another word for the lack of peace, disharmony between God and man, man and himself, man and his fellow man, and man and God's good nature comes from guilt or the sense of guilt that is in each one of us when knowingly we rebel against, revolt against, and defiantly disobey the will and the way of God. That's it. To put it another way, sin is basically when I think more of I and me than I do of God and thee. Sin is when I am so self-centered and selfish, I feel the whole world revolves around me. That's sin. And as long as sin is allowed to run rampant in your life and in mine, there will never be peace on earth. Never. Now, this is a human predicament. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have this daily wrestle against 
principalities and against powers of sin. And unless we are conscious and continuously aware and realize and recognize this fact of life, then there's not much hope for peace in the world. But you see, we don't like to face that fact. No man does. And all the things that we do to try and divert attention from this basic problem, which none of us likes to admit, and all the way we try to divert attention to someone else and we play that I'm not okay, you're okay game called let's blame everybody else. And we spend our time, you see, trying to blame the lack of peace on someone else. You find that not only in the Bible, but in today's newspaper. Look what we are doing as a nation. We are currently conducting investigations which seem to me breed only distrust and cynicism and question people's characters. You see, we're trying to put the blame for our national problems on our leadership. Be they responsible or be they not? We're part of the problem too, you know. Wherever we go, we, we, we hear people blaming each other. Husband blames wife, wife blames husband for the lack of peace in their lives. Children blame parents, parents blame children. Pupils blame professors, professors blame pupils. Uh, uh, in, in this particular day, it's, it's consumer blames producer, and producer can't understand why the consumer is consumed so much. And have you noticed the latest problem? In this reach, recent energy crisis, one of the greatest frustration is, whom do we blame? <laughs> because we can't buy gasoline on Sunday. It, it, the blame goes not only to the man who pumps the gas, but to the Arabs clear in the Middle East. You see, we have to blame somebody to divert our attention from recognizing the real cause. And no place do you see this better exemplified than in those very popular telephone radio talk shows. Now there's an extravaganza if you ever want to see one. Whenever I listen to one of those, which is as seldom as possible, <laughs> I gain three new reflections and appreciations. One, when I listen to those, I gain a new appreciation for the old raucous disc jockey shows. <laughs> Secondly, in listening to some of those comments that are made by people like you and me, I begin to realize that many of our remedies for the solution of peace are not solutions at all, but merely symptoms of the lack of peace 
and unrest that is within us as individuals. You'll notice that sometimes those people who talk the most about peace and desire it are those who basically are not at peace with themselves, but rather inside they are shattered to pieces. And thirdly, I have to face the fact again and realize and recognize that if peace is ever going to come partially into the world through me, I must be aware of the sin that is in me. And that costs. That costs to be able to look at yourself and to realize that instead of part of the solution, I am part of the problem. You see, it costs to be able to continuously recognize and realize the real cause of the lack of peace in the world, the sin of mankind. Oh, how we need help in this terribly complicated, sophisticated, age in which we live, and you know, I think help's coming. I was tremendously thrilled when a few months ago I realized that published this year was a new book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin? Question mark. Whatever Became of Sin? We, we have a copy of that book in our library in the church. If you'd like to borrow it, but it costs you to go through that book. It's several hundred pages long, and it will cost you time. And if you are not fortunate enough to borrow the book which is in our library, and today you can't because I've already borrowed it, <laughs> it's going to cost you even more to be able to read it, $7.95 to purchase your own copy. But I recommend it to you, and for those of you who still have some last-minute Christmas shopping to do, I suggest it as a great gift to give to a friend who likes to read and who is interested in trying to bring peace here on earth. It's not a book, surprisingly enough, written by a clergyman with a title like that, Whatever Became of Sin, you'd think a preacher would write such a book, but a preacher didn't. It's written by a layman, a very famous letter, layman, Dr. Carl Menninger, who along with his psychiatrist father and brother, himself being a physician specializing in psychiatry, they founded the great Menninger Clinic in Topeka, Kansas. Read it. Because there you see this man who is a layman, who has done so much in writing and researching and revealing to all the world the science of the mind. He is coming to the conclusion that we had better once again recognize and realize the power of sin in life. In this particular day, when more people go to clinics than go to church, when more people are expected to accept the conditions of the day rather 
when they ask to be converted, in this day when everybody wants to join a committee or a conference to do or to know what is right instead of being committed to do what they already know is right, this man helps us by asking us that very important pertinent question, whatever became of sin? Unless we are willing to recognize and realize the sin that is in us and in the world, peace will not come to you, to me, or to the world. It just won't come. But you see, to be able to do that, it costs. There's another expense involved. When one realizes this, then he recognizes as well that he must rely upon the power of God, the forgiveness of God as revealed through the word of God, Jesus Christ, his son, who is also the prince of peace. What do you do with sin? There's not a thing you can do about sin except give it to Jesus Christ. And daily to ask by the power of the Holy Spirit for Jesus Christ to help you with your sin. Jesus Christ is our peace, our only peace. And folks, don't blame me. I don't make the rules, I only try to explain them. I guess God could have, in some other way, told us that we could find the way to life and to love and peace some other way. He, he could have told us, if you read so many books or gain so much knowledge or do so many things or go so many places or eat so much stuff, you'll find it. But he didn't say that. Jesus said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto life or to peace but by me. Do you see, when you rely upon the word of God as found in Jesus Christ, the prince of our peace, it costs you. We've got to give up some of our homemade remedies of how we think peace can come on the world. We've got to give up some of our militarism. We've got to give up some of our prejudices. We've got to give up some of our self-centered ideas. We've got to give ourselves up to the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, the Prince of Peace. We've got to rely on Him. There's no other way. No other way! I'm sorry. I wish today I could perhaps give you another way to peace, but there is no other way. And I wish our leaders in Washington, as well as the people in the pews, would begin to realize it, quit apologizing for it, and accept it. God has provided no other way for peace on earth. Except through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. 
He had only one son, and only the son is the Prince of Peace. You see, it costs us, though, to rely on the Word of God. It means in life and in death. It means when we are in struggles. It means when we are the object of someone else's unrest and peacelessness, when we have to receive the, ob the blows of their particular hates and hostilities, we have nothing else to hang on to but the word of the Prince of Peace. It means when someone hates us, possibly because he hates himself, we have just to rely on nothing more than the Prince of Peace. That costs you. It requires some of our self-centeredness, some of our hostility, some of our anger. That doesn't come cheaply. And then, of course, it costs us because it means we must be continuously, daily, each morning, realigning ourselves to the will and the way of God. <coughs> Constantly. Not just once on a Sunday, but every day and sometimes every hour we must be constantly trying to seek the way of God. You see, the Revised Standard Version, that's why I read that particular version this morning, it said that the angels from on high, from the realm of glory with the great multitude, said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The idea here, you see, is peace comes to those with whom God is pleased. And how do you please God? Jesus says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all things shall be added unto you, which I interpret includes peace. You see, when you seek first the kingdom of God, righteousness first, peace follows. Peace, as Dr. Wallace Hamilton says in his book, Serendipity, peace is not a root, it's a fruit. And when you seek righteousness, eventually you find peace. And what is more important, you become a peacemaker. And then you see when you are a peacemaker, we're like Jesus Christ. For Christ said himself, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. And though Jesus Christ came to earth on the first Christmas day nearly 2,000 years ago as the Prince of Peace, by the power of his Holy Spirit, you and I, we are the Princes of Peace at this Christmas season. Strange how God works. I've been planning this sermon for some time, and this week I received among so many of my wonderful friends a Christmas greeting, one from Benson and Helen Ruth Henderson. I know some of you people know them. 
and Helen wrote a poem which summarizes what I've been trying to say. She calls it a reflection of the heart, and with permission I read it to you today. The important thing in life is not I or me or mine. The important thing, as always, is easy to define. The primary desire is peace on this earth. The achievement of this peace persists in being a perpetual curse. The answer is so simple, taught by Jesus long ago. The I, the me, the mind must definitely go. To achieve a plural answer for the sake of fellow man, we, each one, must devise a very definite personal plan. All picayune prejudice, dislikes, hates, and fears must be erased forever from our mental atmospheres. A self-imposed delving deep within the inner self must occupy our thoughts in order to be of help. In achieving this supreme goal within and without, we must go with love for everyone everything around about. I ask in all sincerity within this small group today to now begin this practice of a change of self-way. Once again hold hands with your neighbor. Once again kneel down to pray. Ask eternally for guidance to follow this narrow way. It is never easy, it was never meant to be, but to bring about the lasting peace, it's up to you and me. Go with love and peace, for we are the princes of peace today.